Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the second in our series of podcasts looking at what I'm going to call the Brexit Freedom Bill. Um, my name is Michelle Craven Faulkner, and I'm a partner in the commercial team here at Shoesmith. And I'm joined today by Lucy Green. Lucy, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Hello, Michelle. Um, I'm Lucy Green. Um, I'm a professional support lawyer here at Shoesmiths in the commercial team. Right then. So you and I have already spoken uh, previously about what the Brexit Freedom Bill is and after playing with various um, acronyms, we're going to stick with Brexit Freedom Bill today. Um, At the time of recording, we are still in the House of Lords. So it it still hasn't changed to, to being an act. So we are still very much kind of speculating as to what this is going to finally look like. But the detail that we've got at the moment is that this piece of legislation um, will happen in some shape or form. And the dates that we're talking about is that by the 31st of December this year, 2023, there are close to 4,000 pieces of legislation that will either be chucked on the bonfire um, or will be enacted into English law or will be, as you said in, the, in our previous podcast, deferred until 2026 um, or we'll have something else done to them. Who knows? Um, so we are still very much at the crystal ball gazing stage at the moment, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. There's still quite a lot of work to do for various government departments to identify and then review all of the bits of legislation that are in scope if this bill is passed as, as we currently anticipate it, it, it is likely to be. Okay. But what we can do today uh, and that we what we intend to do today is to have a look at not so much the legislation that is going to be looked at, but how the bill and when it subsequently becomes an act could impact commercial contracts or any kind of contract really. Um, uh, you know, ones that aren't necessarily directly governed by a form of legislation. Um, and I, I think that the focus so far has very much been on the legislation, hasn't it, Lucy, rather than yeah. thinking about the practical applications of some of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, thinking back to the time when we, we had Brexit and we knew what we were dealing with in terms of, you know, the UK was going to withdraw from the EU. Um, people were thinking about what implications that might have for their commercial contracts at the time, both the um, ones which were in place, you know, how was that going to impact on, on the contracts that were already written, existing, signed, sealed, delivered, um, but also the ones which were in, 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 in motion being negotiated. And that resulted um, in parties thinking about, you know, how can we cater for, you know, what is known to be, you know, on the cards in terms of Brexit um, and how might that impact on on our contract and what we saw were um, Brexit event provisions um, coming into fruition and, and popping up in those contracts that were in flight at, at the time when, when Brexit was was on the cards and, and, and we knew it was going to happen. But, you know, it'd be really interesting in your view, Michelle, you know, having negotiated some of those 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 contracts, you know, could you foresee anything like the um, Brexit Freedom Bill coming um, over the horizon. <laughs> well, no, and actually, it's interesting when you say we we kind of knew what was happening. I mean, I you know, going back to that time, we really didn't. You know, ha- having lots of international clients asking when it was going to happen and what it was going to look like, and you know, kind of having to respond back saying, "Well, we we know as much as you do at the moment." I think what's interesting about the Brexit event provisions is that they they almost took two different forms. 
There were some which were, I would imagine, largely imposed by customers in the contractual relationship, which would say that the occurrence of Brexit would not impact the contract in any way. So basically, the supplier um, would have to bear any of the risks that were associated with Brexit. And that was particularly the case when we were looking at cross-border arrangements. What we were also seeing, though, and this was largely introduced in relation to supplier arrangements, was slightly different Brexit events, which were more collaborative Brexit event provisions, whereby it was understood that different parties will have different bargaining power, will have different influence. And so, for example, if parts needed to come from Europe, it may well be that it's the customer that post-Brexit would be in a better position to source those parts be- because, you know, they may have a head office based in Europe somewhere. So so there's no, there's no one set form as to what these Brexit event provisions looked like. But certainly in relation to contracts that I was negotiating around the time, we were definitely pushing to have Brexit events um, addressed and picked up in there. Um, But as you rightly say, we weren't sitting there at that point and thinking, and this is what's going to happen to all of these pieces of legislation, because we didn't know the content of, you know, the the terms on which we were Brexiting. Um, So we are now in a position where we have a whole number of contracts that have got Brexit event provisions, which will talk about things which have arisen as a consequence of Britain's transition and exit from the EU. Did we contemplate that we would then be talking about potential changes of legislation in 2023? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I think that comes down to, you know, what would be the definition of the inter or the interpretation of what mm-hmm. triggered your Brexit event clause? Because yeah. what she might say, you know, the UK leaving the EU, there were still contingencies in place for law to be retained and to continue in force. But this is a a different bill altogether, although it's Mm -hmm. got a close connection to the events surrounding Brexit and the UK leaving the EU. This is about taking EU law out of the UK statute books as opposed to the actual occurrence of yeah. the UK leaving the EU. So there's that, that 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 whole interpretation piece, I guess, in terms of how contracts are framed. There is. And I would imagine that depending on which side of the contract you're sitting or you're advising on will depend on, on how you want to interpret that. That said, especially for those contracts that were done quite a way in advance of, of the Brexit arrangement being finalised, um, the drafting of some of these definitions of Brexit event is quite loose and it does talk about events which have arisen as a consequence of Britain exiting the EU. Well, the reconsideration of EU legislation and how we get that, how that's dealt with moving forward, surely that's a consequence uh, of Brexit. We wouldn't be contemplating it in any other situation than this. So, We've got these potential Brexit event clauses or Brexit event definitions, and they were used definitely in the contracts that I was involved with in various different ways. So the first thing is you may well have, and I've spoken at length about force majeure over the last few years with everything that's happened, but in some cases, customers were insisting that a Brexit event was excluded from a force majeure event. now, I think if people have got contracts that say that at the moment, there is the chance that that could have quite a significant 
impact. The same with change of law provisions. So if there's a, a provision which there's, you know, if, if a piece of legislation is changed, it talks about who will bear the cost of that change. I think, again, that could have some fairly significant impacts on people for various reasons. Um, yeah. I, you know, and, and I think that, for example, if there is a wide scale, I mean, I know that um, listening to things that have been happening in the Lords and various discussions and what we've seen out there in the press, the focus on the employment legislation in particular is is quite a high focus, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and so if you've got a Brexit event provision in a contract and, I don't know, potentially a force majeure provision which excludes that and or a change in law provision which excludes that, you will inevitably see the supplier being the person that is liable for any costs that arise from this change in legislation, should there be a change in legislation, whether that is an expansion on the existing legislation because we decide to do something different with it, uh, or, or whether it's the removal of that piece of, piece of legislation. The likelihood is that that risk and the cost associated with that will be borne by the supplier where Brexit event is excluded from force majeure and change in law. And actually, even in any different kind of change, uh, change in law provision, there is a strong chance, you know, because quite often, as you know, these change in law provisions will talk about what was it within the reasonable contemplation of the parties. Um, if Going back to the point that we've just said, if we're Brexiting, um, should it have been in the party's reasonable contemplation that the European legislation would at some point come to an end. Yeah, yeah. I think there's, you know, there's, there's lots of things to look at because, you know, you've just mentioned, you know, the cost and actually the supplier having to meet the cost, you know, in terms of the impact on the commercial contract. But I guess the suppliers and customers alike, you know, any change in legislation is also going to have an associated cost of change just generally associated with it and the time it takes to implement those changes, even if they're for the better in the long run, um, you know, ultimately it takes it takes time. Absolutely. And I, yeah, I think um, both customers and suppliers alike are going to be sort of looking at the, the Brexit Freedoms Bill, seeing how quickly, you know, the changes might be brought about and actually not having a lot of time under their commercial contracts to implement those mm. changes. Mm. I mean, this, this is definitely something, isn't it? The timescale of things and depending on what the piece of legislation is or the regulation that we're talking about, how long is it going to take to implement? And if you're, you know, if you're working in a, if, if it's something which is a bit more of, say, a market specific or a sector specific piece of regulation, is there going to need to be a standardised approach to that? How quickly is that going to be put into place? Is there any training that's needed? Is there any new certification that, that is needed? I don't, I don't necessarily mean in terms of the product marking, but in terms of the training element that that needs to be done and um with the dates that we're looking at being the end of december it really doesn't seem to leave much time especially as at the time of recording this we are still talking about a bill we're not yeah. talking about a piece of enacted legislation as yeah. yet yeah i think that's a really good point to sort of hold on to that at the time of recording you know, we don't know if the bill is going to be passed in its current status and we don't know then what's going to be the consequent change in terms of the, the flesh and the skin being put around mm. that skeleton of the, the bill. You know, what, mm. what detail is going to flow through, what's going to happen to, to, to all the retained EU law that's in scope. 
yeah. um, and how is it actually going to develop into changes that, that the parties are going to have to then reflect in the commercial contract. Mm. Um, assuming there's no Brexit event provisions, because I've seen contracts that don't have yep. Brexit event provisions catered for, um, and assuming perhaps the force majeure clause doesn't kick in, perhaps because the change doesn't hinder or delay or prevent performance. Um, what other areas do you think people should be looking at both in their existing contracts and perhaps their um, forthcoming contracts um, that they might want to, 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 to have regard to? I'm sort of thinking, you know, how they describe the specification for the goods or services or even price um, review mechanisms. Absolutely. I think, well, I think that pricing mechanisms are something that a lot of people have been focusing on as well as force majeure. I mean, you know, if we think about, as I say, the amount of times I've spoken about force majeure in the past two, three years, I never thought I'd speak about it so much. So we're we're talking about the fact that we've, we've obviously had, you know, that little known uh, virus called COVID that, that impacted one or two of us. Um, you'd you'd then got, you know, the, the global economic crisis, the raw material crisis, the war in Ukraine, the utilities and energy price issues. There's a lot that's been there. And so I think some of these provisions are things that people have already been looking at anyway in terms of, oh my goodness, I've got a fixed price contract or, um, you know, I'm struggling to get force majeure to apply. So all of those things, it's kind of more of the same. It almost adds on to that stack of things that that have been there. But I think other things that people would need to be having a look at are the definition of applicable law. If there is one applicable law and standards, see what that makes reference to. I think it, that's going to be particularly interesting in cross-border arrangements, um, because if it makes reference to EU regulations, um, at the point of signing, that might have been absolutely fine. Up until this date, you might be absolutely fine. But post-December, you might find yourself having to work both to the the English standard, the you know the standard of the UK, but also to that of the EU. And so, making sure that you've got that ability to track what those requirements are is going to be really quite important. Um, there's a whole range of other things that could be impacted this when looking at a commercial contract. I mean, the ones that we're focusing today on today are kind of the force majeure, the change in law, the, the pricing mechanisms, but also just thinking about the potential impacts that there could be on IP provisions, the changes that there could be on data protection provisions, the changes that there could be if it's a services arrangement on Tupi, which is a piece of EU regulation, commercial agents regulations, which I know that you and I only spoke about this last week and kind of went, oh goodness, that's going to be captured by this as well. What happens if that falls away or something different happens to that? So there's a whole load of things just looking at a goods and services agreement that could be impacted by this. But but I think at this point where we are still so unsure about the content and unsure about the deadlines, my my immediate focus would be on those, is there a Brexit event provision? Does it do anything? Will force majeure kick in if there is a significant alteration to something which could cause you, you know, serious delay time or um, uh, or pricing impact? And also the training point that I mentioned before, I think definitely looking at the change of law provisions, if there are any, and trying to work out where the risk is. Um, and then also whether you're in a fixed price contract and identifying what that could 
possibly mean? And I suppose at the moment we're talking about you've got three different types of contract, haven't you, that are on the go. You've got those contracts that are already in existence. So check those and see what could impact those existing contracts. Um, it's also then really important if you've got an existing contract that might be up for a renewal. Don't just let it renew on those existing terms if you've got some terms that that are making you a little bit uncomfortable with this Brexit Freedom Bill regard. And then obviously for brand new contracts that are being negotiated, I mean, that argument about the Brexit event and whether something's reasonably foreseeable, if you signed a contract 10 years ago, that's one thing, although, you know, Yes, 10 years ago, you would have been fine because Brexit wasn't a reasonably foreseeable event. But if you're signing a contract today, which may have a Brexit provision in there, it is reasonably foreseeable that there will be some change of legislation. So you are not going to be able to turn around to a customer and say it's force majeure or it's change in law if you haven't got something to address this in your contract already. Yeah. And I was, I was just sort of thinking as, as you were talking there, Michelle, about, you know, the whole purpose of the Brexit Freedom Bill, you know, we're given the rhetoric around it's designed to make it easier to do business in the UK. You know, they're not going to impose a greater regulatory burden whilst they're also going to retain some of the protections that that, that, mm-hmm. that we've currently got. Actually, you know, it might present some opportunities in, in some regards, but businesses are perhaps going to be walking a fine line between making sure they're still an attractive place to do business, you know, and keeping some perhaps higher standards in place that may be more, you know, EU compliant. Um, And also be mindful of, you know, how do those price adjustment clauses operate if actually, you know, the burdens, you know, removed from, you know, a lot of the things the supplier's got to do, actually, does that drive the price down for the contract and and sort of watching out for for how that might impact on 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 a contract? Definitely. I mean, it's it's. Look, I get I get all the reasons behind why we're doing it. It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? We aren't part of the EU anymore, so naturally we shouldn't necessarily be utilising the EU legislation. It makes sense why we're doing it. I think the the cautionary point that I would make is that there may well be some of these pieces of EU legislation that we quite, you know, we'd quite like to change. We'd like to tweak them. We'd like to do something different to them. I think the point of caution that I'd raise is whether now is the time to be making those tweaks, um, because if that does place an extra financial burden on businesses across the board, whether they're customers or suppliers, because as you say, you know, if it's a piece of employment legislation, it's going to apply to everybody, no matter where you are in the supply chain. Um, is now the time to do it or is it better to do it when the dust has settled a little bit and there's more time to think about it? Um, I I know which one I'd be leaning towards. <laughs> and then for those businesses, you know, it's exactly right. As you say, It's we've we've always had that benefit within the UK of saying that we, we apply a certain standard. And in some cases that was higher than the EU standard that was required. And that's why, you know, we are able to do the level of exporting that we are doing. You know, we are seen as a centre of excellence on so many different sectors and markets. Um, it's about making sure that we maintain that competitive edge whilst we've stepped away from the EU and, you know, without rehashing all the reasons behind Brexit and why it was or why it was voted for and why it has been pushed through. 
from a business point of view, that's what we've got to ensure. And so for those businesses who do engage in cross-border transactions, it's going to be very important to make sure, as I said before, that they track what changes there are to EU standards if they have obligations to comply with EU law. And for those contracts where they perhaps aren't cross-border arrangements and there is just a standard definition of applicable law in there, it might be worth having a look at that to see if that makes reference to EU regulations and standards because if they don't need to be in there, you don't want to find yourself theoretically and technically in breach of a contract for something that doesn't actually really impact it um, that much. You know, don't don't have those extra obligations on yourself anymore. And, and that will especially apply if people have got template documents. So for anybody that's got standard form documents that they use, whether they're terms, standard terms and conditions or reseller agreements or whatever, you know, manufacturing agreements, whatever they are, it's a really good opportunity to take the time to go through those contracts. You know, one off the back of COVID and having a look and recognising that maybe the force majeure provisions aren't as helpful as we thought they were when it was just this kind of pie in the sky thing that would never happen. Um, but also to have a look at whether contracts need changing now we are outside of the EU. Yeah. And just thinking about that, you know, in terms of taking it a step forward, you know, do you have any thoughts on, you know, the extent to which people should push some of these provisions? You know, are we talking about platinum plating things or um, is it just sort of watch and see, but keep a sensible eye on some of the the usual suspects like force majeure, price review, specification? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the last two, three years have shown us that um, that those areas are things that we need a little bit more focus on anyway um and i'm seeing force majeure provisions in particular being up there now with some of the key provisions that are being negotiated now kind of up there with liability and pricing Uh, whereas before force majeure was just one of those clauses at the back and you might have spoken about how many weeks before somebody could terminate um so I, i think it's going to be a case of a watching brief i think that we may well see this becoming more important in contract negotiations. I'm not seeing it so much at the moment, although I am hearing that businesses are becoming increasingly nervous, increasingly nervous, I should say, um, as to what it's going to mean for them. But whether that is filtered down into people thinking about looking at their commercial contracts, I'm not sure whether there is that much consideration at the moment. So I think I would definitely urge people to start thinking about the contracts they've got in place, the contracts they're negotiating, and also those those template documents that they might use, because I think that they could really perhaps do with a bit of a dust off and an update. Perfect. That seems like a great time to wrap up. Thanks, Michelle. Um, lots of food for thought and lots to keep an eye on in the coming days, weeks and months as the Brexit Freedom Bill is making its way through the House of Lords at the moment um, and perhaps um, just a, a call to action to our listeners to just keep an eye on the post-Brexit hub that we've got on our, our Shoesmiths website perhaps. Definitely. Any information that comes out we'll put on there. We've also got the legislation tracker on there so people can see where it is in its journey. Um, so thanks very much Lucy, it's been great. Thank you. Thank you.